Alrighty, so we're going to get into uh, the message for today, and we, if you have just joined us, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, uh, written by John Mark, and uh, what we're going to read today is the next part in a kind of a theological wrestling match that's going on between Jesus and various Jewish, various Jewish leaders, there's all, all these different kinds of Jewish leaders, in the temple in Jerusalem, the final scene of the book um, leading up to the end of it. Um, and so these, these Jewish leaders have been firing off questions at Jesus and he's been responding saying, look, you're not seeing it from, a, from God's point of view, you're seeing it from a human point of view. We looked at these last week. Uh, today we see a bit of a shift where one of these Jewish leaders actually uh, is commended by Jesus for his right thinking. And, um, and then Jesus asks a question back of them. So things begin to change a little bit. Aaron's going to read the scripture for us. It's Mark 12, 28 to 37. Aaron, if you want to jump up to that, that would be great. Is that good? There we go. Cool. So reading from Mark 12, 28 to 37. One of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of religious law replied, well said teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You were not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he said, Why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor, at my right hand, until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David called himself, called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The crowd listened to him with great delight. Spirit, and that our trust in you 
um, is something that you want to increase this morning to grow our faith or to develop um, this, this belief, this trust in us that we may fully, more fully and more substantially cling to you and not to other things, things that is what we So we open our ears and our hearts to you this morning, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would speak to us, that you would whisper to us and that we would be um, recipients who are willing and open in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, some pretty important words here, right? Love God, love others. This is sort of the, in many ways at the heart of the, of the Christian faith, the Christian message, everything else kind of hangs off this, Jesus says. Um, it's pretty fundamental. Um, of course, loving God and loving others goes hand in hand. And, and as we love God and, and are loved by God, uh, that love is to flow through us to others. And so love God, love neighbour, kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, with the love that we have from God that we respond to, we want others to know and so we love neighbour as well. What I would really like to unpack today is why this wasn't just, oh yeah, yep, yep, that's what it's all about to the, to the Christians at the time, but such a transformative message. It wasn't just um, assumed, it was, it was revolutionary, um, but in a unique kind of way. Um, I think that four things is what I hope we take away from this today. That this is all about relationship with God, and we don't just take that for granted, and then we say, oh, it's about relationship, relationship. But what, what is, what's the significance of that? That it's about a removal of everything else, that it's about God having leveled the playing field to access Him, to having a relationship with Him, and it makes those who believe truly unique. So this is what I hope we come away with today. I hope we, um, these are kind of the four things I want to work through. Um, so if you want to have a nap now, that's the sermon in the nutshell. Um, so first of all, uh, at this time, that's my youngest. He's doing this thing now. He just likes to go at any random time. Um, sorry about that. No, not sorry. Uh, first of all, the Jews at this time, they considered the Torah. Let me just have that mic down. Tiny bit money. Um, the Torah, which was kind of the, the law or the instruction is a better word. The first books of the Bible, it, didn't, it wasn't just ten commandments. They're like, this is how we should be following God. They had 613, 613 different rules and laws and instructions. That said, we, need to, we need to follow these. And the religious leaders at the time would have these debates. But they would say certain of the ones of the 613 are more heavy and others are more light. These we hold with a bit more weight, these we, but they're all still valid. There's still 613, some are just heavy and some are light. When Jesus is asked though, what is the greatest commandment? And he answers with two that together are the most important. He, he's not saying these hold more weight than the others. These are heavy ones and the other ones are light ones. He's actually saying, and the, the teacher of the religious law, the scribe, agrees with him. He's actually saying, these stand above the rest. This is not just top of the list and then everything goes a little bit after that. These stand aside from the rest. Everything else, in another gospel, says, everything else hangs off these. It may seem that, um, that this teacher of the religious law and Jesus, Jesus are just saying they're more important, but it's far more than that. They're not just heavier. And, and this just then reshapes how these early Jewish Christians actually think, um, if they were then reading back to what Jesus had said about this, it reshapes how they think we connect with God in this time. It's good news, ultimately. 
because now connection with God, an established bridging of the gap between us and God is about relationship and just about relationship. Note the language. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with your soul, and with all your strength. And so it's a shift from just, I've got to, I've got to do these things, and there's got to be a, a gap that has been caused by sin. I've got to work through these commandments, all 613 of them, some a bit more important, some in. No, it's actually the, the gap's already been closed, and we know this is because of Jesus. Jesus has closed the gap through his blood by his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life, so that we already have a relationship with God, and our, our response is simply to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, and, and that is the gospel. In our evangelical reformed Christian tradition, which is like where we kind of are, um, I think there's a simple, we have a similar issue to what the Jews had. We don't have 613 laws, we've got to follow all of these things. Um, it's, it's a bit of a different issue, but uh, it's, I think it's captured by this. I've had this phrase going through my head for a while. Something like this God is not a concept to believe in, but a person to know. God is not a concept to believe in, is someone to have a relationship with, a person to be known. And I know we know that on a surface level, um, but we, we know that relationships are about spending time together. Relationships are about getting wisdom from others and how to live that out well, getting to know one another, having good boundaries, all sorts of things. Um, and yet, sometimes I feel like we talk about God as a, a, yeah, he's a person we have a relationship with, but our prayers are kind of going up to heaven to this being that is a theory to us and we'll meet him one day if our faith is true. And so, yeah, but really at the moment it's just a theory, it's just a concept, it's just someone we will meet one day. And yet that is not the Father of our Lord and God and Master Jesus Christ who we have been able to have a relationship now with through Jesus. It's not a concept. It's not someone we're, we're sort of maybe going to meet. He's, he's real to us in a relationship with us now. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's about discovering that more and more each and every day. And so Jesus says, love him. Not make your way to him through all these things. Kind of love him and soul, mind, and strength. Love him with all of your everything. And then love others. It's the same side, the other side of that same coin. And so there's two commandments together. Everything hangs off. I hope you can see this is coming out of a, of a gospel. Good news. That we have. What made this so significant for the earliest believers is not that it was something new. See, this was actually old news. The, the Jews would recite the Shema every day. Hero is for our, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which is then followed by the love of the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and strength. And then in Jer that's in Deuteronomy. What did I say? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Uh, just make sure you're paying attention. Uh, love your love, love neighbor as yourself. That's plucked straight from the Leviticus. These were important things to them. So, hold a second. The Jews knew this. This was important to them anyway. What's the big deal? I was studying the passage this week and I was thinking, God, what, what is the good news in this? And I felt like that's what we, we need to unpack in this. There is good news here. God. But I was at first looking for something new, looking for a fresh insight into God that they didn't have before. And it wasn't so much that there was something new 
or difference that, that Jesus was introducing here, he was actually more so stripping away everything else. The good news here is about what's being removed, not what's being added. Jesus is stripping away all of the other things to say these are not necessary on an equal level to love God, love others when it comes to your relationship with God. The Jews always have these commandments. Love the Lord, you love your house, love your house, love your neighbor as yourself. They got lost in the midst of everything else. You can imagine 613 different laws and instructions. You, know, you spend all your time going, well, without, I'm going to have to choose a few that I focus on more than others. And that's what they were doing. And so this, these important ones got lost. Here's what, here's what I suggest we can learn from this. That the joy accessible to us in a relationship with God does not always come through the introduction of some new insight into God. But from the removal of everything else that gets in the way the removal of all the other things that get in the way of our relationship with God, that's what brings us the joy of experienced relationship in its fullness. I heard Pastor Phil Ayres talk about this on 98.5 in relation to marriage the other day. Uh, if you listen to Sunshine FM, and Phil's often on there talking about relationships and marriage and stuff, he said if the passion isn't there anymore, it may be that other priorities in your life need to take a back seat. Whether that be in relation to marriage or friendship or children, if there's other things that get in the way, and that's not really you don't want to have a good, loving, passionate relationship with and friend or friendship with someone else, maybe there's other things there. Same with God in many ways. You may not have any lack of desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But uh, there might be other stuff in competition for that. So Jesus was removing other things. He wasn't saying, here's the new big revelation of your God. He said exactly what the Israelites, the Jewish people, already knew, already loved. He said, but these ones stand alone. Everything else actually just came off of it. So because he first loved you, love him, love others. Um, love, of course, is a popular word these days. I love my wife, I love Krispy Kremes. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's the, the, the meaning of it is, is sort of dumbed down so often. Um, if we really want to understand what love is, as defined by the author of love. Have a read of 1 John, a letter written by John, was called the Gospel of John, uh, to some Christians. Um, this was my, happened my daily reading this week. There's only five chapters in this book, this letter. Just a reminder of the incredible nature of God's love. Uh, we love because He first loved us. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Perfect love expels out fear. All these amazing truths about really what love is. There's stuff in there about sin and praying for others and, and, and things, challenging things like loving other believers is a non-negotiable if you love God. If you don't love others and you don't love God, he says, it's, it's really challenging to go, well, where's that heart at? But then at the end of the letter, this first uh, John, that if you go to your Bible, that's not, much, not that familiar with the Bible. There's one John, two John, three John. The one John, the first letter from John. Um, at the end of it, you expect him to, to sign off to these people he loved that he's writing to with, and God bless you, my brothers and sisters, uh, and, and your, your work for God's kingdom. May grace and peace be with you, or uh, I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you. Or maybe just, you know, all you need is love, amen, or something. Uh, you'd expect this kind of sign off from a letter. Instead, how about 
a look at what the, the final line of, of uh, John's letter is. He says this, I can go to the next slide. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Full stop, end the letter. Post it, start, stand by. It's kind of a strange way to sign up a letter, right? Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Beautiful letter about love and love God, love others, and pray for one another. Keep yourself from idols. Full stop. I, I read this and whoa, whoa, hang on a second, that's, that's really interesting. Why, why would John do this? Well, I suspect it's because he understood that you don't establish and maintain a vibrant, loving relationship with God by adding other stuff to your life. You love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love others as yourself by removing anything else that competes with your heart. Another translation of this verse says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. That's what an idol is. So this beautiful letter about love, love God, love others, he says, dear children, keep yourself from idols, things that steal your heart, steal your love. And so Jesus has really just done this one thing, he's removed all the obstacles, he's gotten rid of the stuff which would get in the way of us being able to love God and love others, all these other things, all these other laws, um, problem is that we sometimes then bring other stuff back in, what needs to be removed in your life? question asked sometimes, what needs to be removed, what needs to be uh, dissected out of your heart? Because it's actually just got in the way of your love for God. It's taking, which is God's place in your heart. Um, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. I think that means that even if a little bit of my heart, if you could chop up your heart into sections, if, if a little bit of it um, is towards something else, then that means not all of it is with God. Um, but th this is, again, good news. Jesus is in the business of removing things from our lives that might get in the way. He's the one who gets rid of the obstacles. And so ask God, what do you need to remove from my heart? What sort of surgery do you need to do on my heart? We may not be lacking anything if we have a bit of a broken relationship with God. It might just mean there's stuff in the way. So that's the relationship with God, a removal of everything else. Um, third thing, I think that what Jesus re removing all the obstacles actually does is levels the playing field. It means that anybody has access to God. Anyone can do this. Anyone can go, I choose to love the Lord my God with all my soul, heart, mind, and strength. I can love my neighbor as myself. I can accept that Jesus has bridged the gap between me and God, and I can love God out of response to that. Anyone can do it. That was the playing field, no matter what they have done. Um, it doesn't matter whether you've squandered uh, your life on other things or whether you're a Nobel Peace Prize winner and you've given all of your life for betterment of others. Anybody can go, I want to love the Lord with, God, with all my heart. And this, this whole series of interactions between Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, where there's this kind of theological tussle, the thing that's going on. It's also recorded in Matthew's Gospel. We've been studying Mark's Gospel this year. Matthew's got a little bit more in it. Um, and Matthew includes two more parables. Uh, these are stories to illustrate the point that, or the points that Jesus is making. One is the parable of the prodigal son. Anybody heard the parable, the parable of the prodigal son before? Basically, the son says, you're dead to me, to his dad, squanders his inheritance on reckless living, and then he comes back to his dad, his head is hung in shame, 
His dad embraces him with open arms, though, and even throws a party to celebrate that he's home. The other parable um, is a great feast thrown by the king, uh, and, and the king in this parable openly invites everyone to the feast. All the people out in the street, anybody can come. Everyone's got an invitation, whether they're rich or poor, whether they're good or bad. When the obstacles to relationship with God are removed, when a son who squandered everything can come back into the arms of the Father, no judgment, when everybody can have an invite to the king's table, there's a, that means level playing field. Everyone has access. You don't have to be born into the right family, you don't have to be born into the right religion, or have the right IQ, or status, or clean history, or anything. You're welcomed into the presence of God. Isn't that good news? But notice that I'm making an assumption, and that is that... Um, a relationship with God is the most wonderful, joy-filled, incredible, peace-bringing thing. Um, that people actually would want that. It is life. It is abundant life. And I think that actually more people than we might sometimes think actually believe this. That on the inside, inbuilt into them by their Creator, is a desire, a longing for God. And when people hear, you know what, God has removed all the obstacles to that. You think that your life going down the wrong track means that you're that you're separated from God, actually God's brought um, a way, a bridge back for you to come into relationship with Him. I think people appreciate that. I think that uh, people would want this relationship with God. But um, Jesus leveling the playing field creates a different dynamic, I think, for those who consider themselves to be insiders. In these two parables, let's take the parable of the prodigal son first, what does the older son do? I worked hard for you. I did. I deserve what you are now giving to the young one who squandered all this stuff. I deserve this, Father. Why don't I get it? Why do you not recognize me? And then in the other parable with the king's feast, um, when the king first sends out the invitation, those who actually had uh, were closer to the king knew the king's son. They who had that level of insiderness already said, "No." Nah, we don't, we don't really care about that. We don't want to go to the party. We don't want to be part of the feast. And so these insiders, there's this theme that goes through Mark's gospel about insiders and outsiders and how Jesus is turning things on its head. Um, and then of course at this point Jesus is pointing out the fault of the Jews, right? They thought they were the insiders. They thought they had exclusive access. We're the ones who deserve to be close to God. And they then get a bit offended when Jesus is like, you know what? Playing field is even now. Everyone has access. So what about us? I know we're not quite like the Jews, but if anywhere, if sorry, if anyone from anywhere has the same access to God that I do, despite the fact that they might have lived a terrible life, they might have been, you know, uh, dishonouring the God and disobedient to God. If anyone has the same access. Do I celebrate that? Hopefully we can say yes to that. But if God blesses them on this earth just as much as he blesses me, and he might even bless them with the things that I've been part of working hard for, how do we now feel about that? If God welcomes somebody into, let's say, the church, and then they come to your life group, and then they have access to your fridge, <laughs> and... And, and, and yet, you're, you've worked harder. Do we feel like, God, they don't deserve this? Or do we feel, actually, God, thank you that there are no outsiders? And that means that there's, been no, there's, there's no blockage 
between me and your love, and then there's also no blockage between them and your love. And so I'm so grateful that together, as people who were outsiders, you welcomed us all in. Hopefully we can celebrate the fact there are no outsiders to God's love. But it is challenging because we revert back into a thinking where we think, well, I've worked for this. Um, we don't deserve anything. It's all of so Jesus says, open up the relationship with God by removing the obstacles. He's leveled the playing field. Here's the thing though, if you believe this, if you, what I've said so far kind of resonates and you identify as a follower of Jesus, he's like, I was an outsider, I was an enemy of God, he's made me a friend, he's made me a child, because he's taken away all of the obstacles between me and him. I'm grateful for that. Uh, it actually makes you quite unique. It might seem that by Jesus declaring, everyone is invited, everyone is welcome, you're all in, that everyone would come, that everybody would, 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 would uh, receive that invitation, would accept that invitation, would go, I'm in. The problem is that it doesn't always happen that way, even among church congregations. This is one of my greatest... Uh, things that keeps me up at night. It's not always the case that everyone, even in what's supposed to be the body of Christ, is accepting invitation. Sometimes it's actually quite unique to be a person who goes, yes, I'm in Jesus. And you stick out. Jesus declares that all it takes is love God, love others. And there was only one scribe, one teacher of the law, uh, in this, this passage we read today, one of these Jewish leaders who got it, he had the spiritual perception needed to understand that that's all that matters. Which might indicate that there's hope. If this one guy can get it, surely other religious leaders who are educated and understand the scriptures, and surely that many of them will get it as well. And yet that was not the case. In the very next passage, Jesus says that this whole group of religious leaders they all got things wrong. They all, and he, he says this by saying, you think that the Messiah is King David's son or descendant, whereas he's actually David's Lord, his God. I'm not going to go into that um, today, but basically he's saying, look, you, this one guy got it, sure. It doesn't, didn't mean that all the rest of them got it as well. One teacher of religious law stands alone. Here's the good news. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're pretty unique. You're special. You're a one of a kind. You've been created by God, called by God for this, to be in the kingdom. Here's the bad news. If you're in the kingdom of God, you're pretty unique. You stick out like a sore thumb. You're not going with the same one that everybody else goes with. As much as we celebrate uniqueness in this world and, and individuality and, and being special and for a unique purpose, we actually like to go with the crowd. We actually like to go with the masses. And so sticking out too much is not really what we want. We want to blend in. And yet that's not what happens when you're a follower of Jesus. It turns out that the open invitation to Jesus' love and to love God with all your heart to the one that's strong. Um, it's not actually the wide road that people are going down where everyone's like, yes, this is amazing. It's actually the narrow road that just a few are choosing. And while we sit here on a Sunday morning, it may feel like, oh, this is this is the um, 
the, the, this is the wide road. This is where the majority are. If you go to one of the churches down the road, one of the two churches down the road, there's about another thousand people, two thousand people actually, sitting in seats right now. Now think about that though in comparison to every single house I can see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. That's just what I can see from the windows right now. We're not the majority. We're on the narrow path. And not even every single one of us yet. Some of us are still exploring, asking the question, I don't know, what's, what's, the, what's the catch? There's no catch. It's good news, it's a gift. It's a gift that Jesus has given us. You know, sometimes I don't understand why. It's like, it's too awesome, this life with Jesus, to, to not accept the invitation. Sometimes, on the other hand, I get it. It's actually sacrifice. This is actually a life of laying down my life. And that's just not a kind of a, a symbolic, oh yes, I lay my life down before you, Jesus, and then keep living on. The same, this is like everything from my wallet to my wife. I lay it down before you, God, they are yours. I lay my life down and everything in it. It's yours, it belongs to you, I submit to your will my life. We know what real love is, John says, because Jesus gave his life up for us. We ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So there it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And same other side of the same point. Love your neighbor as yourself. Give your life for If it was uh, if it was just love the Lord with all your heart, maybe there'd be more people accepting the invitation because it's easier to love a perfect God than it is to love imperfect people, right? Uh, you know, as I said, the letter from John, first John, is challenging. He basically says, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in the church, you actually don't love God. Ooh, ouch. And of course, it's to check our So this is not just a call to add stuff to the life um, that we have and to add God to the lives that we treasure. It's a call to give all that up. It's a call to love Him with all of our being so that our lives are completely given over to others as we love God, we love others. So I'm hoping that as we leave this place, what, what, do, we, what do we do with all this? Well, we, we celebrate and embrace the relationship with God um, that's made available to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, I think that we ask Jesus to help us remove all things that have a place in our heart aside from God because they are, they are there, they creep back in human nature. I hope that we then go, okay, I'm going to choose to treat everyone as equally deserving of the privilege of knowing Christ. Even if we think that's not the case, because at first we usually think that's not the case, not equally deserving, but actually to treat everyone as they are equally deserving. And then to constantly choose the narrow path. The narrow path, which is the way that pleases the world not pleases the masses. I'm hoping we can come away from today with the resolve, I resolve once again to say, God, thank you for your relationship, removing all the obstacles, leveling the playing field, and allowing me to walk not just the wide path to destruction, but the narrow path towards your presence. Father, we, as we just spend a moment to reflect on this now, Lord, we ask that you would show us what it is in our life that needs to shift just that little bit. What it is in our heart that needs to shift. That we would love you with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. Just spend a moment to reflect.